Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Corey Chavis. You know him as the former Commodore football great. Corey was on campus three days last week and watched a lot of football, talked with coaches behind the scenes. He and I had conversations during practice about what we were seeing. A lot to bite off with Corey. So for that reason, we're going to spend most of today talking about the offense, answering a few questions from the mailbag. We will hit the remaining mailbag questions in another podcast and talk about the defense So with that, I hope you enjoy today's episode with Corey Chavis. Corey Chavis joins me now. He's been a good friend of mine for about a decade. Of course, if you are a longtime Vanderbilt fan, you remember him as one of the best cornerbacks ever to play at Vanderbilt. Played in the NFL for a decade, has done TV work with the draft and with college football, runs his own magazine, Uh, Draft Nasty Magazine, does a million things, as great as he is at what he does. He's an even better guy. Corey, it was great to see you last week. We watched a lot of practice together. We shared conversations and notes, and I'm just thrilled to have you on today for you to share some of what you observed with our audience. Man, I'm really excited, man, to, to be able to come on. It's been a while since we were able to hook up, Chris, and it was great seeing you. Uh, you look great, and uh, it, really, man, it was it was awesome being able to just kind of uh, talk shop, man. We kind of veered off, man. We started talking some baseball. <laughs> we had to reel ourselves back in, C. Lee. That's what <laughs> well, and if, if people don't know it about you, you know, you know basketball and baseball too pretty well. You follow the drafts and those sports. I mean, you are really. You know your football as well as anybody. But if people don't know this about you, you know those other sports too. Well, I think that we're both passionate about sports, and I've been uh, – I mean, I covered it when I was in college at Vanderbilt. I was covering NASCAR and golf and everything for the, the news stations there as a, um intern, and, and that's kind of uh, just following a passion that, that I've always had and you've always had. And um, don't worry, I'm, I'm going to ask you about Jack Goward and some of those guys when we get off the call. <laughs> exactly well I know one of your passions is your alma mater you were hoping to make it to a lot of games this year I'm hoping you and I have some some podcasts during the season too but let's let's start right in with what we saw and what you experienced last week and I'll start here Corey I know you got a chance to speak to the team afterwards what things did you tell them well, I mean, I don't think it was anything that was uh, th- that moving or anything from that perspective. It was more of just, uh, I-, I think I kind of, uh, the themes of the week, a lot of the themes of the week that I had heard from some of the coaches and just their detail in terms of just the entire staff. I was so impressed with uh, the staff and some of the messages uh, that I heard in-, in some of the meetings. And it was more of a reiteration of those topics uh, to a large degree, and and I think that's probably uh, maybe going back to some of the different instances where when I was in school, Chris, and some of the players that I played with, I, I really believe that the teammates you play with, the locker room, 
even the coaches that you have, uh, you you don't you take for granted sometimes that it could be gone. You know what I'm saying, and it will be gone at some point. But the suddenness uh, of how quickly um, things can change. I was actually um, at Innsworth High School uh, watching Rock Batten, uh, one of the guys I played with, and who I have a tremendous respect for, is an excellent coach. And I was talking with David Coppins, one of my former teammates, and we were actually talking about when we were in college, Chris, Kyle Gullahorn's death. And this was probably a little bit before your time, but when we were in school, we actually had to experience one of our teammates dying uh, during the season. And we were going to, or that might have been during the offseason, but we ended up all going to a funeral. Uh, so that day-to-day, uh, play-to-play, uh, everybody thinks that's cliche. Uh, but what happens if one of your, one of your, you lose one of your teammates in the middle of the season or in the offseason? So um, I didn't really even talk to them about that necessarily, but that's kind of the, the point I was um, heading towards. We talked a lot as we watched practice, and I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but I don't think I am. You feel like they're pretty athletic and maybe more advanced than people think, and the, the talent gap is maybe not as great as people think. Am I am I misreading what you were telling me at practice? No, I, I don't think so at all. I think I think talent gaps and how I, I guess for me, maybe because and and you know this, I, I probably have a different lens on it because I am at a lot of different you know, practices and games and stuff around the country. And, you know, just from uh, the odd test, of course, I think there's things that they are trying to continue to accelerate in terms of uh, some of the stuff that Barton Simmons and the rest of the staff uh, that are going out recruiting are doing. Uh, And I think they are doing an excellent job, but they've gotten longer. I think the size, particularly when you look at some of the freshman offensive linemen, I mean, I just look at a guy like Leighton Nelson, for example. Uh, I, I thought he was somebody that, you know, you come back two years from now and see where he may develop into in terms of size. Uh, you got to be impressed with just getting off the bus, a guy like him, you know what I'm saying, especially uh, being such a young kid. Same thing with Gray, uh, Grayson Morgan, uh, who's right there in Tennessee from NBA. I mean, those guys in particular – Look the part, but they've got a lot of guys. Quintavis Gaskins looks the part at corner. Um, and, and then I don't know if there's anybody that looks like Issa Quatara, uh, the kid out of Germany. I mean, I, right now, I thought he looked as good as any anybody I saw in the draft last year. Uh, and obviously, he's a freshman. So uh, certainly, those guys have added. And there's a lot of guys already on the roster who are built extremely well. For example, a guy like Malik Langham. Uh, you're not going to find a guy that looks like him, you know, just walking around anywhere um, in, in any SEC any different. It's uh, just a matter of, you know, coming together. Well, their strategy, and I've talked to them enough off microphone and off camera about it, they know that they're not probably going to beat Alabama and Georgia on, on a five-star kid who's ready-made to – hit the field as a true freshman and and be a a star or a major contributor. But what I think they're doing, well, I don't think, I know, they have measurables. They know what an NFL left tackle looks like. They know what a star linebacker or running back looks like. They know those athletic traits. They try to backfit kids who can grow into those things that have got the speed and the size and the length 
And they know, again, they're not going to win that recruiting battle for that kid who's 18 and has those traits and is advanced. But what they want to do is find a kid that can grow into that two and three years from now. And, Corey, I don't know if you felt this too, but I bet you did. When I watch those freshmen, every recruiting class that I've seen at Vanderbilt, and I've covered them in fall camp now for probably 20 years, there's always a couple of kids where you're going – Boy, I don't know what they saw there, and I don't know how that kid got a scholarship. They must have just run out of them. And <laughs> hey, we, we've got we've got eighty five to fill, so here you go. When I watch the freshmen, I don't feel that way about anybody in this class. Yeah, and I and I, I that's an excellent point, Chris. And I think when you have that those type of uh, attributes, like you're talking about, uh, give credit to the identification certainly, but. I think the other part of that is a guy like, for example, that you still have on the roster. We talked about Langer. What about B.J. Anderson? When you compliment, you know, now we're talking about somebody who's not a freshman, right? A senior who's 6'1", 195. I, my thing is when I go somewhere, I go there with a clean slate. There's no reason to come into it. A lot of times people say, okay, well, it's helmets, right? I mean, that's something else that, that I always talk about is, you're so associated with the helmet, you have to look at each season, uh, whatever you're trying to create as a coach, player, or otherwise, in your mind as it's a season of its own. I think that's kind of what I was talking about a minute ago with the Kyle Gullihorn. Uh, you know, we, we didn't know we were going to lose them, uh, you know, coming up to that season. So uh, I think what you're talking about is what is going on now as opposed to maybe what you've seen in the past. And I think that's what we got to concentrate on uh, as people that follow Vanderbilt football uh, and beyond. Well, Corey, I know well, that you and I could do a three-hour podcast on this team, maybe more. That probably would be selling us both short. <laughs> um, and we both had schedules to work around today. I've got a hard out in about 25 to 30 minutes to go to an appointment, and then I'll go to practice. We're doing this on a Wednesday morning. And so we have decided we've got a lot to cover. We're going to break the podcast up into offense and defense. And, and who knows, we may have a third one if we still have some material left over. But let's start with the offense in this one today. And I may get to some mailbag questions at the end, or I may hold those. But offensively, what did you walk away feeling this offense's biggest strengths are? Well, the first thing is I I really like their offensive coordinator, um, Joey Lynch. Uh, I've I've had a lot of respect for him for quite some time, and I I like some of what he does philosophically. In fact, Chris, he kind of reminds me of a guy that I used to play against who was really a great offensive mind, and that's Norv Turner with some of the stuff that he does. Now, you've got to find ways to tweak that within the collegiate system in, in terms of fitting the personnel and how you're going to run certain stuff. But um, individually, in terms of the players, I thought that, uh, at least for the the days that I was there, the quarterbacks all had their moments, you know, like uh, uh, periods of consistency and and impressed whether that was Ken Seals, Mike Wright, uh, or even the the, the freshman, A.J. Swan. Uh, I think the receiver position has gotten a little bit uh, deeper. You you still got to look for somebody else to develop. Maybe that's going to be a Wilson Long, somebody like that. And I think the offensive line um, is still trying to figure out who's going to be that that starting five. Uh, th- those guys, I think, are going to be in a pretty good competition. 
Uh, they brought in Brammer from uh, North Texas. I like his size, and I think he's pretty athletic. He's going to be uh, right there in the mix, along with uh, Bradley Ashmore. Uh, I think he, you know, shows some shows a little bit of nasty at times last year. He's going to try to continue to get better um, in pass protection. I think he can do some things, and he's gotten bigger and stronger. Uh, and, and that, along with you know Xavier Castillo. Uh, who's a really more of a, a really will be an excellent man blocker because he can move bodies. Uh, it's just going to be all about him rounding into his best form. So they've got a, a number of different guys up front uh, that I think have uh, tremendous potential. And I think that the, the left tackle position is interesting. Uh, Uzibu and then you got Hanson, that competition, how that rounds itself out. Uh, but Blazic, AJ Blazic, the, the offensive line coach, is, is a tremendous coach. And I think that that offensive line is something that has to get better. And I think it will under him. Um, I have a lot of respect for his ability as a coach. Corey, I know all their quarterbacks, they don't say, okay, you're Ken Seals, you run this set of plays, and Mike Wright, you run that set of plays. But I do think it's fair to say, it seems like they have designed their offense and their play selection around Mike Wright being their guy with his skill set, uh, with the running, with short passing, with things like that. Would you agree with that? This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. What, you, what you've seen is being able to accentuate what somebody does well. Yeah. And I think they understand. That's what I mean when I say you got an office coordinator who has some versatility within what they're able to do. Remember, North Turner worked with Cam Newton, right? But long before that, he was working with the Dallas Cowboys and Troy Aikman. So when I talk about, uh, he reminds me of Norv Turner. I've been able, I've spent time with Norv, and I'm, and I kind of know he's got that flexibility. And I think, I think Lynch's offense has some flexibility and adaptability to it in terms of what uh, he can use certain types of schemes to accentuate each of the players individual strengths and you can kind of see it morph into the personality of that quarterback when he's the play caller and they're in the lineup for each quarterback I was impressed with that during the week I don't know if this is an indictment on the defense or a statement about their personnel on offense but I thought they have gotten a lot of work done in a good way when they run behind Castillo and Ashmore yeah, well, I mean, I, I think that I think that's more about those guys. Uh, I think that's more about their size. They're nasty, and then I think that uh, obviously on the defensive side of the ball, 
you also have a, a, a defensive coordinator and Coach Howell who's come over and he, he has a very, very strong uh, reputation for producing uh, defenses that can be multiple. So I think he's going to be experimenting. You know, sometimes you experiment with some things in camp uh, just to kind of see how you're going to react to it. And that was what impressed me the most about spending time with them, the experimentations, to kind of see how you're going to fit different stuff in the run game. So everything, even if sometimes you're not having success for a day or two, you're kind of finding out about yourself. And I think that's what you kind of have to do as a coaching staff. Um, and I, I, again, that, that was something that impressed me. Even with the, when, I, when I say experimentations, I'm talking about maybe what front you would try against a specific one, because some of those stuff is maybe, you know, you, you talk about the staff meetings or like what you want to see on each side, and then you're going to see how your players react to it um, after walking through and then executing it during practice. And that lets you know, you know, what your strengths and weaknesses as a coach in terms of your personnel. I think most people, probably me included, looked at the state of their offensive line leaving a year ago. We saw they added Jacob Brammer, a guy who was an all-conference guy, I think maybe second team or honorable mention last year at North Texas. And you just presume that he will plug in somewhere and start. That's not necessarily been the case. What does that say about the state of that offensive line? I think it's good. I think you got to have the competition. Uh, I think you want to be eight to nine players deep in case of injury. Uh, you want to be able to have also guys play multiple positions. That always increases uh, your team's flexibility up front. Uh, so that's going to be probably something that I'm, I'm sure uh, Coach Blazik and the staff will be working on too is having a backup plan for a guy if somebody goes down because you want to be able to get your five best on the field for that week. Particularly, for example, if you have to go – and, and lose your center because they've got such a, a integral part of their offense revolves around Julian Hernandez at center, who, a, a guy who I think is is pretty solid in terms of kind of controlling and keeping everybody calm up front. So you want to be able to work with some different combinations during camp. Okay, let's talk running backs. I think they feel that might be the best room on the team. Ray Davis, to me, just looks like a better player, which isn't a surprise because he's healthy. He wasn't healthy in fall camp a year ago. That carried over into the season, and sure enough, he was out just a few games into the season. I really love the way that kid runs. He's got a lot of tools in that toolbox, Corey. He can break longer runs. He can run for power. He can catch passes. They are really bullish on his pass-blocking ability, I think the more I see that guy, he may, he may not be a guy that you go and watch one practice and go, wow, that kid's a stud. But when you watch him over a longer body of work over a couple of weeks, which I now have, I think I'm more impressed with him day by day. Yeah, a really good football player. I, I think uh, I spent a little bit of time with him during the week, and uh, I, I thought the, the thing that you mentioned there was uh, the, the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield uh, and then the, the, the scam protection ability, which is something that I talked about dating back to even last year, uh, he's smart. He, he understands uh, exactly what they're trying to get done within the blocking schemes on each and every play. And then if you're going to be a guy that can be a scam protector 
and have the vision. Sometimes it's not always going to look pretty if you're not exactly honed in on who you might have to pick up late in the down, particularly against blitzes. And when you have young quarterbacks, you got to have a running back who can pick up and pass protection. And you have to be able to trust that running back on third downs. He's a guy you can trust in that in those situations. And it's going to be hard to keep him off the field on third down because of that capability. Well, and they've got some pieces behind him, too. I thought that Patrick Smith was their second best back, but Rocco Griffin has really given him a fight. They're a little bit different in, in terms of, of styles. Griffin has never really done much in terms of yards per carry productivity, but he looks a little better to me. And then they've got Maurice Edwards, who's a little on the small side, but really fast. He is, they timed him at, at a legit 4-4 at some point, and so you know the kid can run. They've got some depth in that room. Yeah, I think that's something that is kind of points to what you're saying about the confidence going into it. And then uh, Norval McKenzie is an excellent coach. We were kind of joking a little bit during the week. He used to have a running back named Warren Wan uh, when he was at Arkansas State, a little five foot five guy. wasn't really small, uh, but just an excellent player, and he talked about his heart. Uh, and and when you have a guy like him, he just got through coaching uh, Javian Hawkins, I believe, at Louisville, and, and he was another good player. He's had success, so you've got things that you can point to. He's been a successful running back, and then he's got examples of if you want it, no matter what your size, height, weight, speed, no matter what any of that, those were two smaller backs I just mentioned, and both were ultra-productive in their conferences under McKenzie's leadership. So, again, I think it goes back to this coaching staff and how they're developing players. I like the way he challenges his players mentally. Yeah, I, I really like this coaching staff. Um, and Norval, I've known him since when he played here. I covered him as a running back at Vanderbilt. But let's switch to receivers. That's been an interesting group, too. Uh, seems to be a, a defined top three. I don't know how much they'll put three on the field at the same time because they also like their tight end room and, and may need another blocker there. But but I think you've seen Will Shepard. We kind of knew what he could do. He's had a decent camp. Um, I know you were really impressed with Gamarian Carter, who's probably not in that starting group right now. But there's him, there's Jaden McGowan, there's Quincy Skinner who has done some things uh, since you left town. So I think that, again, is a group that seems to be getting better. Yeah, and I think for for me, uh, I think Carter is somebody who's got to earn everybody's uh, the trust factor in, in terms of this year when it comes to uh, being able to consistently, if we go to you, you know, can you get open on third down? Those are the types of things that you're looking at when you have a bigger receiver who has some flexibility. But, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Earl Bennett. Uh, I, I think he was just an incredible player at, at Vanderbilt. And he kind of put me on him early and I w- and, and made a couple of comparisons. And so when I was watching him, you know, that kind of stuck in my mind uh, that he kind of caught Bennett's eye. And, and, and I couldn't really keep my eye off of him during the week. But I, I do think that Skinner uh, has a lot of what you look for in terms of the size, the length, uh, and certainly when you plan behind a shepherd who I believe has all the capabilities to be a number one receiver, uh, you know, not only at this school, but a number one receiver at a number of different schools in the conference, uh, in this conference. Uh, I, I think that gives you some confidence going into the year. 
He just got to take his game from maybe that six, seven hundred yard range to potentially being a thousand yard receiver. And I think he's more than capable of that. Well, they love their tight end room to Ben Bresnahan. A healthy Ben Bresnahan can really help them. Gavin Schoenwald has been on the field a ton in fall and spring and can catch some balls. Ball has really come on. I think uh, Cole Spence, I don't know how much he'll play this year because he needs to add some bulk, but he's a kid that I know they think will help them down the line. That, to me, looks like another room that's gotten better. Yeah, well, I, I think that, that room was pretty was one of the rooms that you asked me about players are – are rooms that were impressive, and, and that certainly was one uh, right away. And and what I like about those guys, you want to talk about looking the part. There's no way you can tell me that, that Sean Wall and and Bresnahan don't look the part. And then you talked about Ball as well. But each of those guys look like SEC tight ends, or actually, you know, they're, they're they got NFL tight ends is what they look like. So I, for me, it's hard for me to come in out. Again, who's going to be your guy at that position to stretch the seams? You want to have a guy to be a seam stretcher. Uh, and you talked about it. Bresnan a couple years ago, 28 catches, 300 yards, I think about 11 yards a catch and four touchdowns. Can he get back to that form? I thought Shorewall kind of showed some stuff uh, during during the week uh, when I was there. But, you know, who's going to – I think if you're looking for the third down threat, the savvy veteran – you'd have to suspect that that would end up being Bresnahan. Okay, when you look at this offense, what are your biggest concerns? Well, I think the biggest concern is whether or not you're going to be able to convert on third down. I mean, for me, that's what it comes down to if you're going to end up making it to a bowl game. I don't have to necessarily have a an individual to point to, but is your mentality on third down we're going to convert? Because if you can't convert on third down, you're going to struggle. And that's the bottom line, no matter what. I think I look at Kentucky, for example, and people wonder why Will Levis has has climbed up so much. They were incredible on third downs a year ago, 51%. And you've got the same thing with Alabama. They're right after, you know, a lot of people don't realize Kentucky was second in the conference in third down. And when I'm looking at an offense, I want to see how well they convert on third down, which what that means is, hey, the guys you talked about earlier – on first and second down, those running backs, those tight ends, can you give me, you know, can we get out of those two downs with six, seven, eight yards? That's going to give us a chance on third down. We don't want to be, because now on third down, if you're third and three, third and four, and you got Mike Wright as a quarterback, you've got options, right? But if that's third and seven, third and eight, and you've had a negative play on those first and second down, it's going to be tough. I, I think that's going to be a big key is getting into manageable third downs. And I'm sure that's something that um, that's something they're going to be concentrating on. Uh, and that's going to also protect your offensive line, Chris. If you can get in those manageable third downs, you're not going to have them where it's a predictable blitz or something they've got to pick up, a stunt, a twist. Uh, you can limit those things if you can pick up six, seven, eight yards on those first two downs. All right, we've got about 10 minutes left. I'm going to get into some questions from the audience, if you're cool with that. Sure. All right, our mailbag is presented by Sutherland & Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, please give Taylor or Russell a call. That number, 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Bobby Two Times asks... What is your evaluation of Coach Clark Lee 
And if he was around the team in the Derek Mason era, what does he see as the biggest difference between the two programs? Also, do you think the program is headed in a winning direction? Yeah, I think the program's headed in a winning direction. And, I, and I'm a big believer in Clark Lee. I mean, first of all, when have we had at Vanderbilt? I mean, I guess you could go back, what was it? Maybe the Watson Brown, you'd have to go Watson. back that far. Yeah, you know, somebody that played there, you know what I'm saying, and was able to uh, end up coaching uh, at, at the same school. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure about that, right, Chris? That was probably Correct. the last, last situation where you had that. But it's a little bit different when you have somebody, uh, and not only that, with the athletic director. I mean, I think you, can, you have to go to Oklahoma State and maybe one other program in, in the country, Chris, you would know it. Uh, that has that situation. So you've got to understand the desire that he has to want to be successful and that understand what has already occurred here before and the challenges that come with it. But that passion from that perspective and then the detail, the calm, I think that's something, you know, I want to see somebody with a steady hand. Uh, He doesn't, you, you can go back to any time where you've seen him coach before, you know, he's emotional, he's passionate, but at the same time, He's not going to have those uh, unbelievable, crazy ebbs and flows that rock your team because they're following that coach's uh, body language. I, I think he understands all of those different aspects. And then the, the coaching staff that we already talked about, I think that says a lot about who you have as a coach. What coaches want to coach with you and what types of coaches are they? And I think that has a lot to do with, I mean, you look at Justin Lustig, a guy who's the special teams coach, and he's coached so many different areas uh, of a football team. He's got a lot of good coaches around him. I think that says a lot about him and who he is uh, and also the respect that he garners around the nation. Okay, Mule Train 65 asks this. What style of quarterback do you think gives Vandy the best chance for success, not just this season but looking ahead in recruiting as well? I just think a quarterback that is efficient, and I know you can say, well, what does that mean? Well, that's a quarterback that whatever he's good at, be good at that. So if you're a quarterback that's a thrower, then you want to make sure that quarterback has a quick release. He can get the ball out of his hands and uh, be efficient uh, and really make up for some of the weaknesses that that quarterback may possess with that release and, and how quickly he can get the offense going by the ball getting to the receivers at a faster pace. And if you're a runner and you create, be, you know, superb in that area. So, and also be able to still throw. So, like, that dual threat is a little different from, I guess, what you would call a pro style. And in each facet, you have to be the type of quarterback that I think best suits here is the quarterback that's most efficient in what they do within whatever way they've described, whether it's dual threat or pro. Uh, so I don't think there has to be a specific type uh, because teams change year to year. Uh, I don't think Matt Jones is, is maybe quite the same as Jalen Hurts was, but they were both successful at Alabama, right? So I think that yeah. that's more what I'm talking about. You, Whatever you're good at, be very good at that, and that's the type of quarterback Vanderbilt needs. Here's a good one, and I think the staff has a very defined answer for this one, by the way. Uh, VU in Georgia asks Corey, what type of recruit do you think has the makeup to play at Vanderbilt? The type of recruit that has the makeup to play at Vanderbilt. Uh, 
in terms of are we talking about uh, are we talking about I guess I guess my question to you maybe for clarification, Chris, just to make sure I answer the question right. The type of recruit does that mean it could be a guy that's not being recruited at all? And in, in terms of maybe a zero or one star that nobody knows about, or is it somebody that's you know academically strong and yet still is ranked pretty high? Like I'm trying to get a little clarification here. Um. Well, the question he didn't he didn't add any more than that, so it's hard to know the the way that I interpreted it, Corey, is what kind of player has the mindset to succeed at Vanderbilt? I know, and maybe this is going to influence your answer. I've heard them talk several times about their cell is that they tell kids it's a challenge, it's difficult, and I think what they mean by that is you're going to be challenged academically. We're going to challenge you. In fact, I know there were kids that left the team last year that I don't know that they necessarily wanted back because I don't know that they thought all the habits were there the way they wanted them. So I took that to mean maybe not necessarily traits, but like between the ears, if you're finding a kid who's going to succeed at Vandy, what does that look like? I don't know if that helps or not, but that's how I interpreted the question. Yeah, and I think it's an excellent question, but I think there's a lot of different types of of guys that – Come, you know, I'm from South Carolina. Jamie Duncan was from Delaware. Uh, you could go on and on. Casey Hayward, you know, where, where he's from Georgia. I mean, I think, you know, what type of kid you got to remember, every, we, 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 we're a national kid, I guess, would be my answer because uh, a player that has had success at Vanderbilt, you could go all over the place and, and find them from a number of different areas. But I think that the main mentality that you have to have in terms of once you get there is understanding the present and being being more, I guess, engaged in the present of what you're kind of encountering and not be so caught up in the perception. Uh, so that would be kind of more from a mental perspective. Like how focused are you on being whatever you can be at its highest level once you come to Vanderbilt and not be as, uh, you know, concerned with outside perceptions of what Vanderbilt is and create your own. That's the type of recruit I think Vanderbilt has to get mentally. That's tough to kind of figure out whether a kid is really locked in in that sense and think, you know, what you're talking about is what Vanderbilt can do for you. But I think the real question is, what can you do for Vanderbilt? It should be kind of reversed. And, and I don't necessarily know. And and, I'm, and that's the kind of kid that it seems to me that, that they're recruiting, at least from the kids that I ran into, they seem extremely focused uh, on the task at hand. Well, they talk a lot. Um, you can hear them after a practice that didn't go the way they want. You will hear the phrase Vanderbilt beating Vanderbilt mentioned at times. But you and I talked about this a little bit. I, I think you still feel like the thing that gets in their way the most, and this is where James Franklin just worked miracles, it's not always the talent, and I, I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, a lot of times the talent has a lot to do with it, but you think – the, the mental part is as big or bigger an obstacle to their success. And, and, of course, that's been that way since probably you and I have been alive. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I think with the mental part, I mean, they've got a lot of people uh, that, that come from different places where you've had to overcome some of that perception versus reality to a, to a certain degree, right? Um, and, and I think that's really what I'm talking about, because the perception was for the longest time 
that okay, you just what you weren't going to be able to have like a, a large amount of consistent success at Northwestern, right? With with Pat Fitzgerald, you know, you have a year and then you don't have another year, and that's kind of what you're talking about with James Franklin. Uh, but in reality, the last seven years they're 49 and 37 with five bowls. Same thing. A lot of these guys have. Uh, I think Coach Lee coached at, at Wake Forest. You. You've had other guys that have kind of they've been at some other schools, right? And and, and several even the, the, the straight coaches who I was very impressed with um, in, in terms of uh, some of the things that he's implemented uh, within the program. He was also at Wake Forest, and we were kind of talking about some of the different. I'm talking about uh, Brandon Horrigan. We were talking about some of the different players that have come through Wake Forest. Well, Wake Forest. Also had to overcome. Maybe we can go to a bowl game one year. And we'll we'll fall back to the pack. But they've developed consistency. I think those two programs are very similar from an identity perspective. Northwestern is actually ranked higher than Vanderbilt academically. And again, they're forty nine and thirty seven the last five years. I know you're going to say SEC versus Big Ten, but and you're going to say ACC because Wake Forest the last six years is forty five and thirty. But I I don't believe that. I don't. I do not believe at all that that you could just ignore that that, that what they've done been able to do. Quickly, just a, a really brief sidebar before I've got to leave. You think they compare pretty favorably with Wake Forest, which of course I think people know was on the schedule in September in terms with their athleticism. Yeah, I, I went to go see Wake Forest play last year, and I thought that I mean now again you've got a, with Wake Forest. Uh, here's the here's the thing with Wake Forest that is vastly underrated, and and what you're looking to get here is kind of what you were talking about, and that's Sam Hartman, uh, because and then you got a guy like obviously At Perry on the outside, but Sam Hartman and how much success he's had. Now he's gotten in his way at times. In terms of like getting, if you can cause a couple of turnovers with with Hartman early in games, that's been a little bit of an issue going back even a couple of years ago. I mean, it was the Belk Bowl against Wisconsin. You've seen other games. I was at the NC State game last year, and he had some problems with interceptions in that game as well. So he he has some of these streaky moments, but he's learned how to overcome those. Um, he's the heartbeat of the program, and he can kind of cover up some of your warts even through his mistakes. And so that's really where I think they've been able to get some consistency the last couple of years. A little bit different than Northwestern. They've had a little bit of instability at quarterback. But Wake Forest, at the quarterback position, I think they have, and they're, they're feeling right now, uh, an integral part of what they're trying to get done with Sam Hartman. Corey, I've got to run. We will do another one of these on defense and special teams. But I wanted to ask you to just tell the folks really quickly – about draft nasty and all you do because I know we've got some people that love the draft and you cover it wall to wall. Yeah, I think uh, in terms of what we do uh, right now, finishing up the we talked about earlier, Chris, the Major League Baseball draft recaps. I've been doing those a lot. I did about twenty. We did about twenty-five different prospects, their recaps, where they're going, who they got drafted by. In fact, we just got through with Braylon Wimmer. I'm sure you covered him, Chris, uh, quite yeah. a bit at Carolina. Um, kind of batted a career high 312 this year and uh, kind of came on a little bit and he ended up getting drafted. I, I was happy to see that for him. But uh, really just finishing up the Major League Baseball draft, getting ready to go into 
some of the, the, the games that we're going to be going to early in the season, going to be moving around a little bit uh, all over the country and, and covering a lot of the college football scene. Uh, a lot of excellent players out there this year, and we'll be covering them all and, and look forward to our year-end publication uh, that comes out uh, in April of every year right before the draft. And it'll have everything, uh, 800 prospects, um, and, and I can't wait, man. And, and also, we just got through covering the, the um, NBA draft, and, and we covered those guys all the way back to high school. In fact, I just left uh, the, covering AAU basketball all summer long. Uh, a lot of prospects are going to be coming out in a couple of years. So, you know, check out the site. It's got a little bit of everything on there. If you want to see some Cole Anthony, you know what I'm saying, whoever you want to see, uh, Banchero, Jabari Smith, Walker Kessler, uh, whoever you want to see on there, we got a we got a buffet. Hey, Corey, appreciate it. I look forward to our conversation on the defense. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.